Welcome to The Last Theater on the Left. My name is Chris. And my name is Joey. And it is near Christmas as we are recording this. And I think as many people do, we both have our traditional Christmas movies. Right. And yeah, everybody has their regular ass and alternative Christmas canon. Yeah. And you know, the the conventional ones, It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Story, uh... In any of the versions of the Christmas Carol, sure. whether it be the the George C. Scott version, anything older than that, right. I grew up on the George C. Scott version. Yeah. There's a Jim Carrey version yes. of the, the, the that kind of pseudo animated right. one. That one's really good, oh, actually. Yeah, yeah. But that's not what this show's about. <laughs> and you know, now we're kind of in that culture where you know we're in the is Die Hard a Christmas movie conversation, yeah. Gremlins, you know th- that that sure. kind of stuff. So fun stuff too, right? Which it, it's not Christmas without watching those for me, Scrooge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. so. So that ties into this, and we didn't even know we were going to do this show like 24 hours ago. Yeah, no, we were, <laughs> you said, hey, you want to come watch this movie? And I was like, yeah, because it is one I know that you watch every year, and I yes. try to watch it every year, I don't always do it, because it's not necessarily one of the ones that I watch all the time every yeah. year. I don't know what this says about me, but it's been traditionally the last few years the one I rep presents to. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, you know, it normally is Scrooged and this. Yeah. But of course we are talking about Black Christmas. It is a 1974, one of the first slasher movies, I would say. Um, not, maybe not the first. It depends on how you how you define what a slasher is. And we'll get into that a little bit sure. later because there's a lot of influences going into this and coming out of this. Um, but it is the movie starring Olivia Hussey as the sorority girl who is... She's the innocent. Yeah, she's the innocent and she is She's not a virgin, though. No. <laughs> so we're breaking, yeah, tradi- we're breaking not, convention yeah. so already. We're breaking convention before the convention is <laughs> yeah, set. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but it is... It's a fantastic movie. This is... Uh, it was directed, not written, but it was... Well, he kind of co-wrote. He kind of... Yeah, he said he, like, punched up the script a bit. Yeah, with jokes. Yeah, but uh, this is Bob Clark's... I think it's... It might be his best movie. I, I think I it know. is, yeah. This is the same guy, if you don't know. Bob Clark also did A Christmas Story. So you have those two sides of the Christmas <laughs> tales from Bob Clark. He also did Porky's. And he did one of my favorite zombie movies, which I think was a little bit before this, but not too much before it. Really, really low budget. It's called Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. And if you know those movies, you can kind of, you get kind of a gist of what Bob Clark is. There's a lot of comedy in it, but there's also a lot of heart in it. And he makes really good movies. Since I haven't seen that, is there any Christmas during... Uh, children shouldn't play with dead things no just just a question because yeah. like he, he obviously is a fan of christmas he's oh, yeah. he's not anti-christmas he's oh, done right. two massive cool movies <laughs> yeah. based around christmas 
Shane Black actually has more Christmas imagery in his canon, actually, if you go back and reference all of his stuff. But it's amazing. Like, I could show this movie to anybody, especially in my immediate family, and they would, first of all, they'd make me turn it off. (laughs) Second of all, they'd be like, there's no way it's the same guy that did Christmas Story. Yeah, yeah. Every time someone brings up any of those movies I just listed, I was like, oh, well, do you know he did this and this and this? And they're like, oh cool yeah and i'm like that's an amazing fact that you just learned they can't even live in a world where christmas story and porkies are from the same right <laughs> they, they can't even do that why would they yeah. be able to do black christmas <laughs> right and a christmas story and you know i have to admit chris the first time i saw this movie was merely 10 years ago oh really yeah i didn't you like we, we've done this a lot on yeah. this show for those of you who are new to the show uh, I didn't grow up the same way Chris did as far as what I was what I was fed for my entertainment. Right. Chris had access to all the horror movies right. around his house. I had to fend for myself. Yeah. So I bought Black Christmas Cold on DVD, and I'll tell you the reason yeah. why. Mm-hmm. I saw it on one of those Bravo Halloween specials. Mm-hmm. I taped that thing. I still have it somewhere. Yeah. But that had the most intriguing like kind of collection of, of anecdotes to where I was like, I want to see this movie like mm-hmm. badly now. So I bought it based off of that. Yeah. And the best story that came out of that, which I, is a little bit of common knowledge now, especially for fans of this movie, is Olivia Hussey has told this a few times in interviews, but she was on that special. And it was cool to see her, first of all, because mm-hmm. it was like one of those kind of VH1S kind of panels where they yeah. grab a lot of crazy people for it. Right. But when you see like a legit actor like Olivia Hussey, <laughs> right. you're like, oh, cool. She, yeah. They got her for this? This is great. So she's like, you know, she's very prim and proper. Yeah. You know, she's like her characters. Right. And so she's like, I, I did a movie in the 80s uh, called Roxanne with Steve Martin. And he came right up to me, right on the set the first day. And like, oh my God, you were in one of my favorite movies of all time. And at this point, she's used to the Romeo and Juliet talk. Right. Probably have a story ready for it. And she's yeah. like, oh, Romeo and Juliet, thank you very much. It's like, no, Black Christmas. I've seen it 30 <laughs> times, you know. <laughs> And I was like, well, first of all, we know even more so now that Steve Martin's one of our finer citizens. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, I love that story. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's that. So I watched it, and I, I watched it in the dark by myself, like in an empty-ass apartment 10 right. years ago. <laughs> and it's been one of my favorite movies ever since. That's awesome. So there you that's go. Good. Yeah, it's... I don't know why I don't watch it more, because every time I watch it, I'm like, I see new things. A lot of these movies like this, slasher movies, which we've talked about on this show even, what few episodes we've done so far a lot of the slasher movies rely on cheap tactics and they're not always the best and the stories aren't great and this is a really simple story it's a story that you've seen before and after this movie came out it's the whole thing where it's basically like when a stranger calls that's been made like two three times i think yeah but it's the caller is coming from inside the house and it's stretched over the entirety of the whatever hour 20 something minute runtime and that's basically the entire story but the things that Bob Clark does and the way that he makes everything believable, it's its really nice. And he ties a lot of things together, the editing and the shooting and everything. But one of the things that I did want to mention real quick while we were talking about Olivia Hussey is I do think that having an actress of that caliber really adds so much weight to that role. Yes. And it makes it so believable that when she is scared, you believe it. The mm-hmm. one scene late in the movie when she gets the call from the police saying the killer is in the house and he's like yeah. you need to get out of the house don't go upstairs yeah. but her friends are up there she knows her friends are up there yeah. and so she has this very realistic dilemma in a lot of these horror movies the person does something stupid and they get yeah. in the wrong place because they're dumb yeah. but she has a real 
dilemma on her hands. Like, does she go up there because she knows her friends are up there? Or does she go outside? So she just screams, answer me. She's calling to her friends. Yeah. And the camera just... I don't even think there are any cuts. It just lets her act that out. Yeah. And it's so effective and it's really, really good. Yeah. To, I mean, to further expand your thought, Chris, it's everybody in this movie. They, yeah. These are real actors. These are great classic sure. actors. Yeah. Kira Dulay, the great John Saxon. Margot Kidder is great yeah. in this. You know, she's done some great stuff too. Yeah. So, like, it's really just that thing of horror as a genre and yeah. as a business does not serve itself well when it doesn't get good actors we talked about yeah. this before yeah it, it just becomes a, a very on the surface very vanilla thing sure. you have to have this kind of talent it's amazing they got this kind of talent yeah. on a small budget first of all yeah but second of all they just rocked it everybody in here is yeah, great absolutely so and yeah, John Saxon, who is in so many of my favorite horror movies. And even like something like Enter the Dragon. Inner He's the, the dragon, white guy yeah. in Enter the Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> he adds that much weight to that side. And then Margot Kidder, who didn't seem like she was on the set that much, really. I think you had said something you saw where she didn't actually spend that much time shooting or something like that. Well, Kira Delay did about a week and a half, apparently, oh, okay. on it. Margot Kidder, according to Olivia Hussey, distant from the rest of the cast. Maybe she mm. was method acting because she's kind of the... Yeah. The one that people don't like. <laughs> yeah, her character was really interesting to me because she starts off immediately, like the first time you see her, she's the she's kind of the mean one and she doesn't yeah. care about anything. Or don't anyone. be so tight. Yeah, that, that, she's, that, she's that one. one yeah. And and she starts off a little drunk, and as the movie goes, she gets super drunk by yeah. like the middle of the movie, and then she's yeah. passed out for the rest of the movie. Yeah, but it takes like, herself out of the game. Yeah, <laughs> but it, there's a reason for it too because that whole scene in when they're having dinner with. Claire, the the girl who gets killed, that we see her get killed at yeah. the beginning of the movie, she thinks she's taking the blame or the guilt because she thinks everyone else is putting that guilt on her and that's yeah. why she's drinking and that's why she's acting the way she does. Yeah. So that one scene, again, the acting takes all of this, which could have been a very flat, like stereotypical character, which is kind of what she was playing early, yeah. but it takes it and it says, this has all been happening while you've been watching under the surface. It's been bubbling under the surface and it came out in this, I wouldn't say violent, but it came out in this big scene where she's spewing out all this emotion. And I think that says a lot about the movie as a whole, because Claire, the one that does get killed at the beginning with the, the plastic, the like dry cleaning bags. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. She is present in this movie, in the window of the house the entire time. Yep. So it's the same kind of thing where all this stuff is going on under the surface for this character of Barb, played by Margot Kidder. The, the, dead girl is right there yeah the there's whole... a search party going on everywhere in the city yeah. but she's right there and yeah. nobody sees it until yeah. it's too late it's because of the that illuminating image with the with the lights that are coming through the the attic yeah if you looked at that window yeah. like while you're a search party guy from the floor all the way looking up to a roof yeah. it looks like one of those like christmas angels that people put in their windows yeah. you know so like that's that's just i don't know if they thought about that when they made this movie i have to think that they did uh, yeah I would but think so. it's just an amazing choice and yeah it's just that's what makes it super creepy the entire time that yeah. was the thing they talked about in that retrospective that i watched mm. that i was like man that's fucked up i gotta see this <laughs> <laughs> and it is really creepy because yeah basic plot summary the girl claire that we said she gets killed early in the movie it is kind of a general I wouldn't say generic, but it is kind of that it sets the template for the slashers that would come later. Yeah. Because I feel like Black Christmas falls kind of in between the slashers that we know more in America, like 
Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and all those kind of slashers and then the 90s slashers that got goofy, they all kind of came from this. But building into Black Christmas are more of the like Italian, the Jallo films with, because I see a lot of that in this movie. Okay. Because in those movies, it's like the movie Tenebrae with John Saxon in it. Okay. I, I don't know if you've seen that one. Oh, I know the Goblin does the music for it. Yeah, but it's one of my favorites. <laughs> I want to do that on the show okay, pretty yeah. soon, actually. I need too, an excuse to watch about that. It. But it's uh, in those movies, it was most of the time, it was a male killer. You never saw his face. He usually wore black gloves, which there are no black gloves in this movie. But he would often have some kind of quirk to him, some kind of weirdness to him. And the way that the murders happen in Black Christmas reminds me so much more of those Italian movies, more so than the slasher movies that would come later. Yeah. Especially when Barb gets killed is one of the most okay. like stylized scenes in the movie. Oh man, yeah, that's I, I thought it was that was very Fulci esque for me as yeah. far as my experience of watching these certain films from yeah. from those certain eras. That reminded me of something that Fulci would do. Yeah, because it's very like look, look at me, because <laughs> <laughs> it's it is it's it's more of uh, it's about the the feeling of the images. More so than the blood and the action happening. Yeah, because it's not, once again, not a bloody film. No, That's the bloodiest it gets. We don't really see, I don't think we see any of the actual, like, stabbings or slashings or anything. We see the blood afterwards. Yes, there's tons of implication, and it's not really as they're happening. There's there's blood on the cop. Yeah. But that's after the fact, once again. Yeah. It's all after the fact. So Barb is the only one that gets actual real-time blood. And once again, it's very stylized to the point where... It's it's mostly in your head, and they got those cutaways for yeah, it. Yeah, so. because there's the the choir, the kids singing the the carols are yeah. out front, and that's where Olivia Hussey's character Jess is. She's listening to them, and so you hear that going on in the background while the killer, who we don't ever know who it is, yeah. um, he gets the like the the glass unicorn and stabs, keeps stabbing Barb, mm-hmm. and but we only we see. The, we see it coming down, and we see the shot of like the skull on the on the background thing. Yeah, and then we see like Evidem does like a, a filter on the camera when you see all the glass things on the bed beside Barb, yeah. unfocused stuff. Yeah. yeah, and so it's kind of shimmering as all this dark stuff yeah. is happening, and then her hand hits it and she breaks it. I think it's sort of symbolic, but not not as symbolic, more as like I said, the feeling of the images. It's just darkness, and it's it's the yeah. blood, and it's trend, it's juxtaposed with the Christmas carols, the religious Christmas carols, yeah. and then the faces of the kids, like close up as as all this is happening. Yeah, probably the most powerful scene in there, besides the I guess the original splayed out version of Claire, mm-hmm. because it's just. It's this movie is unrelenting in that sense. Like whenever you're trying to get a break from all the madness, which yeah. is what Jess did, stuff is still going on. Yeah, and that's really the whole movie in a nutshell, right yeah. there. So you can even have all the all the breakdowns of communication. There's comedy relief in here that isn't lame. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, and it's and it's also well appreciated <laughs> because yeah, like usually when films do it, it's terrible. Right. In this case, it's everything. It's just a perfect movie in that sense. That even when it goes funny, it, it serves a purpose, and there's a lot of realism to it. It feels organic from the characters. It doesn't feel like the director was like, "We need a laugh here, so yeah. let's wedge this joke in here." Yeah, 
it, it kind of seemed a little forced with uh, the the school marm or whatever you call it, the house oh, mother, Mac. yeah, yeah, Mac. yeah, and Claire's dad. That seemed a little forced, but at the same time, I kind of dug it because the comedic timing was pretty good. Yeah, but it, it felt more real at the police station because I feel like that stuff that has to go on in real life sure. because things are just so terrible yeah. all the time, yeah. and that's a very real value in life that, oh, that yeah. comes across and. In the way they did it, anyway, you yeah. would think that some of these guys at least worked at the police station at some point. The <laughs> right. way that they were doing, John Saxon it. plays a cop a lot too. Well, he's, so, yeah. is it the dad in Nightmare on Elm Street that he plays? Yeah. He played because he plays Nancy's dad. Right, right. He's a cop, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. yeah, that's what. I, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. Because he's disgraced by the third one, but right. in the first one, he is the cop that's like, hey, you're, you're, yeah. everything's fine. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm sure he did his research. I'm sure he <laughs> sure. found all that too. So, like a an example of comedy that I don't like in movies like this is actually one of my favorite movies in the movie that I based the name of the show on, which is The Last House on the Left. Like, the cops in that movie, man, I don't like any of that comedy. It feels so out of place and forced because it's just, like, super over-the-top and slapstick. But amazingly enough, Bob Clark, the guy that did Porky's, is manages to make it feel more natural, which right. is an amazing thing. If only he had done this movie years later right and the killer would have had his dick sticking out of the window instead of the eye <laughs> right <laughs> anyway so the killer let's talk about the killer billy so, billy we can call him billy because that's yeah. been, that's the official name now at this point obviously the movie sets up peter who is jess's boyfriend well sort of like they're kind of at a breakup point in this movie <laughs> yeah at the weirdest time possible right. they set him up very strongly to be the killer but as we see through the movie it really can't be him no. because of what happens at the end but so the story with them is jess has something to tell peter She's pregnant. She wants to get an abortion. And I know abortion, and it was in the 70s, and so I'm yeah. sure this was an even bigger topic than it was. Well, maybe not bigger. Right. But it was as controversial then as it is now. You I could think. start talking about it in popular culture. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. yeah. So it was, I feel like, for people watching it at that time, I think that was probably a pretty big deal. And, and for the same reasons, like, Weiss Psycho was equally controversial Almost not just because of the shower scene, right. but because of the toilet in the shower scene. <laughs> I'm not even kidding about this. Yeah. Like, like Hitchcock got a lot of shit for that. Yeah. So now you're like, we're, we're jumped up all the way from 1960 to 1974, right. and we're talking about abortion and cinema yeah. now, which was not a thing. Yeah. Up in, pretty much up until then. Yeah. Right. So. so Peter doesn't want her to get the abortion, and he's the kind of guy that's like, I forbid you to do this, I'm going to quit my stint at the conservatory for the career that I wanted to do, but I suck at. I'm going to stop doing that, and we're going to get married. I'm going to quit all of my dreams so yeah. we can have this kid, so I can resent this kid my entire <laughs> life, and then you can resent me and the kid exactly. for making you have the kid and for marrying me. Exactly. That's his plan. Man. And Jess is like, well, no, like I can't, I'm not going to put my life on hold for you because you don't know what you want to do. So it's that kind of dynamic between the two. Like yeah. Jess is the she is completely likable, like she is that character. Yeah. And he is completely unlikable who is almost too perfect to be the killer, but they keep setting him up throughout the movie as he's he was sitting down outside the house Jess was supposed to meet him at the house when it was empty yeah. or mostly empty. And he was sitting outside the house while stuff was happening inside the house a couple sure. couple like sequences later. Yeah. And he's and the always thing, there. Yeah, the whole thing about him like, oh, I was just having a nap upstairs. Yeah, he comes Who does down from that? upstairs. Yeah. So <laughs> like 
what? It's super blatant, but it's yeah. done for the purpose of setting him up yeah. as maybe he's the killer. And it also sets it up to put the idea in the head of Jess that he might be the killer. That's because that's important later. That's the only way it works, yeah. and and her reaction is what makes it work. Yeah. When you and, and continuing with this part of making him the lead suspect in the Who Done It. Yeah. The only nitpick I have on this movie, which mm. is almost an otherwise perfect movie, is that last act when she is already running from the killer because right. there there is a confirmed killer in the house and now she knows it. Yeah, so she she's already gotten the call from the cops saying he's in the house. She went yeah. upstairs. She saw her two friends, Barb and Phil, who were the last two in the house beside her. They're dead on the bed. Setting the standard of uh, what you laid the groundwork for yeah. in the Friday the Thirteenth, the kill room. Yeah, that has to be the first kill room in cinema history, is it not? I can't. unless unless these other movies that got referenced in the my research, Peeping yeah. Tom, was the first POV. This is the second POV, by the way. For for this effect, I would argue, yeah, Peeping Tom would broke a lot of ground. Yeah. They they say that's the first POV because for a long time people said Black Christmas was so. We're going to have to go with Peeping Tom since it came out first. I've never seen Peeping Tom. I don't know if you have. It's been a while. Yeah. I would, I mean, definitely it established the POV in that, like I said, in that manner of the effect that it is used in this movie. It did do that, yes. So the the other thing, going back to my nitpick. Mm. So the nitpick I have, she's she's in the, she's now locked herself in the basement. She's running from the killer. The killer tries to break through the door, but then uh, eventually he lets up and mm-hmm. walks away very calmly, of course, because he's very schizo. Yeah, and he even does that on the phone. Yeah, he's like yeah. screaming and screaming, yeah. and then at the end of the, the call, the first call the first of the movie, call, actually, yeah. he's doing all these, it sounds like he's choking at first, and then yeah. he's laughing, and then there's screaming, and then Barb, she says something to him, something yeah. like... Go stick your tongue in a wall socket. Yeah, you get yeah. a charge out of that. Yeah. And then he just very calmly, and in his... Maybe his own voice says, I'm going to kill you. Hangs up. Just like real quiet. And so he does that and it makes sense. So that after he's screaming and banging on this door so much and it just stops and you just hear him walk away. And so my problem is Mm. she's down there and she's like at her peak of scared. And we see an image, a silhouette Mm. that's kind of lurking around, uh, which, you know, it's at feet level. If you're looking at it from the basement, there's all these windows. There's like three or four different windows. And then it walks over and then finally leans down and you hear a voice calling for Jess. And it turns out to be her boyfriend, Peter, mm-hmm. who is supposed to be the main suspect this whole time. Right. So that right there to me is like the most forced part of the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it just bothers me because how does he even know to look down there? That's the thing that kills me about this. I mean, it's very convenient, yes. And it was obviously done to further the plot and to to add the tension of that sequence there's not really an easy way to explain it i don't think it's a plot hole i think it can be explained in different ways but yes it does feel a bit contrived for that to happen at that time it's the only part that bothers me because conceivably she was screaming and the other guy was screaming conceivably he could have heard someone and she they've already established that her and phil locked the rest of the doors and windows in the house okay so if he looked through the front door maybe he was already knocking on the door the taxi driver had tried to like knock on the front door and everything. So we already yeah. established that he can't get in. Right. No one can get in. If Peter did hear something and he would just have to walk around the house and he could have heard Jess 
down in the basement through the window because it was super quiet at that time. And maybe he did hear something and was wondering if it was it because he was just, he wasn't sure if he heard anything at first. You could tell that. So it's weird how people can really hear from outside. Like when the cops show up, they can hear her screaming at the top of her lungs. But she's in the basement. Yeah, but there's it's just a window that's... Oh, shit, that's the window's been broken. Sorry, yeah. that's my bad. But yeah, yeah still, it, but it was very audible. Oh, great, yeah. Great, yeah. Uh, great sound. Uh, the remix on the sound that yeah. Scream Factory did. I, I the Big thumbs up right yeah. there. So my Scream Factory show for the episode. <laughs> but yeah, I, and I, I immediately always think of like, man, I know Peter's an asshole, but what are they going to tell his parents now? Right. Um, so... You know your son? <laughs> uh, his girlfriend killed him because he was going to kill her after he killed six people. Right. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> that is all kinds well, of... Well, they had to live with this guy. I'm sure they know his mood swings and stuff. And maybe, so. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. But yeah, I agree with your nitpick. It does feel contrived to me to an extent, but it can be explained. Okay. So I had to yeah. find something. I just want to. I didn't want to just you know, yeah. you know, kiss this movie's ass the entire episode because <laughs> I pretty much wanted to do that. Yeah, so. I don't think it's as egregious of a contrivance as a lot of other slasher movies to get oh. to the point that they need yeah. to get to. You know, oh, I've seen way worse. Yeah, way worse. So, <laughs> so, but after that scene, like you said, Jess has killed. Well, apparently, we don't see it happen. What appears to have happened is that Jess killed Peter. Because she was scared of him, but then she, like, passes out. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people pass out due to shock in this yeah, movie. Yeah, could have been. You see this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And they were splayed over each other, so yeah. maybe she did. Maybe the killer got down there and killed him. We don't know, because Jess doesn't wake up through the rest of the movie. Ooh. So maybe the killer That's... did get down there, and he killed... He framed Jess in order to... Well, I don't think he would have that Ooh, much forethought as to make himself brilliant, get away. That's brilliant, though. If he did that, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It, so, But it leaves it ambiguous, and you don't know. Yeah. And how long did it take the cops to get there? I mean, they yeah. were, like, going all the way downtown. <laughs> yeah, they had that <laughs> shot of them just going down some random street we've never seen <laughs> that was, before. That was the one night they had to film in downtown. Yeah. Like, we only have this much money. It's right. Like, it looks like stock footage. Yeah, because <laughs> earlier in the movie... It felt like the police station was really close to the college or yeah, the sorority house or like, whatever. Like, you, you could almost make the argument that, that that's just the college police campus. Yeah, you know, that's so. what it seemed like. But yeah. then, yeah, when they say we're on our way right now, it takes the longest time in the entire movie. <laughs> so that could have been 20 minutes, it 30 been, minutes. Yeah. It could have been any of those. So I really dig that. That's yeah. one of the coolest fan theories ever. You came up with a fan theory not even trying to. Right. That was great. It's just, I mean, because that's what I think when I, when I saw that is... I don't know if she could have killed him, you know? I don't really? know. Personally, I mean, I think sure. even with all the trouble they were having, I don't know that she could have killed him mentally. And no, I don't no. think that Peter would have attacked her to the extent that she felt that she needed to kill him. I, I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, the more I think about yeah. it, the more I think you're right. Because, yeah, she she doesn't have the heart to do it. Yeah. And she doesn't seem like the kind of... Because they really cut... They cut away. Yeah. At the most convenient time yeah. to leave those questions. She's nervous, but she's not scared necessarily. Yeah, she's she's, coming out she's holding the fire poker, yeah. and she will use it if she has to. Yeah. But I don't see it happening. Yeah. I, I think the killer, I think the killer knocked both of them out. Yeah. Killed the boyfriend and waited it out. Like yeah. obviously crazy yet brilliant. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, he he does plan a lot because he he was able to. 
be in that house for two days and not be found. And he was he wasn't very careful about it either. He came in through the attic, but he was in the house and walking around when there was yeah. a party going on downstairs. Yep. So yeah, he's obviously very brazen and knows what he's doing in order to get no. done what he wants no. to get done. Yeah, I've I've even watched some you know interviews and and things on this movie. I've never mm. heard anybody come up with that theory. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still I'm still blown away by it. <laughs> so it's not Peter. We know that because Peter's dead. And at the end of the movie, after the police, Jess doesn't wake up for the rest of the movie. She's not dead. Yeah. But they bring her up to her bed, and they're like, oh, this is over. Peter's the one that did it. And then the end of the movie, everyone that's surrounding her slowly, for one reason or another, leaves the room. They turn the lights out on her. Right. And then that... I love the ending of this movie, where it's the shot outside of her bedroom door, and it pans over to Barb's bedroom, and the sheets are gone, and you can see blood on the mattress. Then it pans over to Claire's bedroom, where she was killed. And then it pans over to the attic. You see the attic open, and then it's goes to the shot of the attic where you see claire still wrapped up still in the attic yeah the wide miss shot mac, of the house yeah. yeah miss mac is in there too wide shot of the house and the phone starts ringing through the credits and there's yeah. no music i love it so much yeah upon my first watching of this i realized that there were two major references to this movie and marilyn manson's first full length album mm. portrait of an american family there's a song on there called wrapped in plastic mm. and then the go if for those of you kids that maybe have grown up in the 90s ghost tracks were a big thing where there was like you know t up to 10 to 30 minutes of silence and then you get some payoff well at the end of his cd this phone rings faintly in the background for like 10 minutes before this angry mom that called up his answering machine about taking my son off your mailing list. Oh yeah. But the phone rings for like 10 minutes, just like that. And, like yeah. this, and I guarantee you that's where you got it from. It's too coincidental yeah. for it not to be. I had never put that together until you yeah. said it, but that makes perfect sense. Especially yeah. the fact that one of the songs is wrapped in plastic. Yeah, that, it has, yeah, to be. has to be. So there you go. There's my rock strikes 10 tie in for this episode. So what about other suspects like who do we have as another suspect because i think every one of them is is knocked out okay ooh, ooh, mr kata mr sure. kata What's up? uh well i had a theory for the longest time but mm. then i realized upon like the second or third watch mm. shows you how swift i am that i thought it might have been phil's boyfriend for a minute the 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 guy with the beard and the the, the rex the, reed the look alike yeah yeah <laughs> that has to play santa claus and yeah. he's pissed about it first yeah. of all he has he has the most bitter motive of the entire movie mm. because he can't have his little romantic getaway with Phil during the Christmas season yeah. because they're, they've apparently decided to go skiing with Barb's rich parents for a couple of days. Mm. So he's like, well, I'm fucked. Yeah. And so he's real bitter and yeah. he doesn't care to let people know that he's mad about it. Yeah. And he's the only guy to express any kind of like, besides Peter. Right. He's the only other person in the movie that's like, man... And yeah. he's, he's kind of pissed. Yeah, so he was true. my only other suspect, really. Yeah. He sure as hell ain't Nash. Nash could not... The, the now that you're fan <laughs> <laughs> I like Nash. Yeah. He's fun. Because he's, he's dumb. But yeah. yeah. And or the, he's the, the one a lot of jokes. Oh, God. The, it has to be the laughing detective. He has to be the killer. <laughs> right? <laughs> he just thinks it's all funny. Yeah. Yeah, because we never really hear him say anything. So that might be his voice on the phone. Well, the more he can make Nash look like an idiot, the right. more fun he has on the <laughs> right. job. So he That's has all the motive, motive in the world. <laughs> Yeah, because it couldn't really, it can't really be anyone else. No. Claire's boyfriend is, he's with too many people too many times, so he's, it can't be him because he's not in the house enough. Yeah. No. It can't be the father because it doesn't work. He was out. I think the scene where there's, so before the movie started, there was a 13-year-old girl who was, she's gone missing. 
And throughout the course of the movie, they find the girl's body in the search party that they have going. So there's all this stuff going on in town. Do you, do you think that the the killer, you know, the killer we never see, you think he killed the little girl? That's or the do you, thing. Is, you think that's just window dressing? I feel like that... I feel like that's a red herring. Okay. I think that that was put in there to... It was put in there for a reason, for sure. I think it was paralleling a lot of things that were happening. But I don't necessarily think that Billy did kill that girl. Okay. Because it doesn't really fit with everything else that happens in the movie. Yeah. And the... I mean, her body was found, and they were looking for Claire. Yeah. And, and or they were looking for her too. I can't remember. Was it? Was it the no, no. Party? They were. They were just looking for Claire specifically. Yeah. yeah but they found the girl yeah. who. Um, that was the one that the mom was talking about yeah. in the police station. Yeah. So they set that one up early on. Yeah. So, so it's just kind of a parallel thing, I think. Okay. You could give it to him, but you. It, I don't think it is. The only way it would happen is if, like, like he saw her looking at him through the window when he's killing one of them, you know, or so, I don't know, you know, like yeah. he goes after her and chases her, you know, through the park. That that goes way into the fantasy realm at that point. Yeah, but there's nothing really in that to support that in sure, the movie, I no. don't think. And, just, just a hunch. Yeah. yeah, because, so, this whole search party thing that's going on through pretty much the second half of the movie, it takes so many of the people that they kind of set up as suspects, it takes them out of the running because they're all on this hunt. Yeah. So it can't be any one of them. It can't be the father. It can't be Claire's boyfriend. It can't be Phil. It can't be Jess. Like, it, yeah. it, it's taking all of them out. You kind of know it has to be a guy because you see the guy's hands and, and arms, and it looks like a guy's hands. Yeah, it's a man's arms. voice. Yeah. It's man's hair. Yeah. And later on, you do see, you get to see the silhouette of him, and you see his hair, and you see one of his eyes lit up in a really yeah. cool shot. They, they the, also, it's also very. Like the the outline of his hair that you see in one of yeah. those shadows, it's very Peter esque. That's what I was gonna say. Is yeah. that like I was I was watching for hair after that moment. Mm-hmm. It was like th- when you see that shot of that sil- of the silhouette of the killer of Billy, and also before he kills Barb. Yeah, it's kind of like longish hair, sort of kind yeah. of like feathery, you know. Yeah, yeah, and feathered out, and there's a little piece that sticks out yeah. to the side. And I was looking after that, and Peter has sort of a similar haircut. Yeah. Even Claire's boyfriend has sort of a similar haircut. It's the 70s, so everybody sure. has this kind of shaggy, <laughs> right. like, longish hair. For a little while, I was thinking that one of the suspects was the kid that hit Claire's father with a snowball at the <laughs> beginning. I was looking at everybody. So, like, I was a police guy. I was writing down all the names, sure. looking at everybody, trying to like knock that. all of them out. Because like he knew where, he knew Claire, he knew Jess, he knew where the house was, and he knew exactly how to get there. So that's a suspect, in my opinion. But yeah, once the, once they gave the, his hair was longer, so he was sure. knocked out by the time he got to there. I was thinking of the I Love the 70s bit, speaking of VH1 shows, look who's got a fair ado. <laughs> right. yeah. But uh, yeah, but as you, you do get to see a little bit of him, and then when Jess sees Barb and Phil on the bed... Billy is behind the door and you see his eye yeah. and it's that really cool shot of like that close-up of his eye and his mm-hmm. eyes kind of red in the center yeah. and then when you because I was watching eyes after that too sure. and <laughs> Peter's eye wasn't red so yeah. it obviously knocks him out so I kind of think that we don't see the killer anywhere else I think the yeah. killer is someone no. completely random which makes yeah. it that much more scary yeah it reminds me of the original Halloween where we knew the backstory of michael myers because of the opening of the movie yeah enough but yeah yeah but he was kept such a mystery and in the original movie he didn't have anything to do with any of the kids that he was killing none of the victims and that's what made it so scary at that point and so i think the 
having Billy not be one of these people, even though it's set up as a little bit of a whodunit, yeah. having him just be this random crazy guy talking about the baby and Agnes and, and all this weird stuff, you don't get the whole picture, and that makes it worse. And the fact that he is so, like, bipolar, he's, like, screaming one minute, he's laughing, and then he's just completely quiet, I think that's one of the more frightening things. That mm-hmm. scene where he's chasing Jess through the house... And you don't see him when he's running. You never see him. You follow you see, Jess. You see like a real quick yeah. movement, like between the little bars on the la- yeah. the, the stairwell. Yeah, that's true. You do see him run, but yeah. it's such a blur. You just that, hear him screaming and banging. It's yeah. so loud, and then it just goes quiet. And it's so well done. That to me is more scary than anything else. It. Yeah. I would say. So this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you: Is yeah. what is scarier to you? that screaming maniacal killer that just can flip that switch or someone like Michael Myers who's just like stalking that's tough I mean I like the combination of angry and calm like that really means that they're completely unpredictable yeah so in a way Myers is a bit predictable yeah doesn't mean he's not scary sure so I think the unpredictable. I always say the unknown is scarier than anything mm-hmm. else. I'm gonna have to go with Billy on that yeah, one. All right, cool. I, I, really I would am. kind of agree. Yeah. I mean, if I watch Halloween again, then I may like flip a little bit. Sure. But to me, yeah, I I think it's the combination of the unknown and the just like in your face. But speaking of movies you've seen like multiple times since you brought up Halloween, you ever watch a movie a ton of times and then you see this one thing in there like oh. Yeah, that thing. And then yeah. it turns out to be something else. Like, Man, I've seen this movie a thousand times. Why do I keep thinking that this is something else? Yeah. Every time at the beginning when I watch, when the, when the title hits, at the very, very beginning and the kids are singing and then someone walks past the camera and I'm thinking that's freaking Billy. And it's oh, always yeah. just some girl <laughs> just from the house. It's like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> they even have the same hair. By the way, I think the killer is the, the gnarly eyeball from the Stone Age. <laughs> <laughs> all right. right there you go there's my really really obscure film reference for the episode nice. it counts because i haven't even seen peeping tom but i have seen the stone age <laughs> all right all right so i just want to talk a little bit about like the music in this movie that was one of the other things that kind of pointed me towards peter heavily towards peter as because it's been so long since i've seen this i didn't really remember how it ended in how it eliminated people as suspects and i noticed after peter has his whatever it is it's like his audition for to continue in the conservatory or whatever it is he's probably getting you know i'm assuming Mm -hmm. that that audition that he was having since he said he'd been living in the conservatory for eight years i'm assuming it was kind of almost like a promotion like like he was going to wind up being an instructor there and they were going to put him on salary and all this other stuff so i think that's what it was it feels like an equivalent of like a thesis paper or something yeah yeah exactly and so he's doing that the just a few hours after Jess has told him that she's pregnant and she wants an abortion. Yeah. Later on, we know how messed up he is and how angry he gets. And so his audition goes really poorly. He's just banging on the keys. I mean, it's, it sounds good, but it's so... It's it's avant. He's, uh, yeah. he's bebop. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, we're a few years out from this guy's debut, yeah. but if he had just stopped playing and be like, I did my final on Frank Zappa, you right. know? Like, right. Just be like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know... Yeah, you got the job. <laughs> like that's that's what I was hoping right. he would do. That would yeah. be great. If I wrote that movie, that's what would have happened. <laughs> but it's so his his playing is so like fractured, so it kind of lends credence to the music coming out mimics the 
goings on in his head of this fracture and this anger, this this just back and forth kind of thing. But also after that, after he goes back to there to his piano room, he's smashing the piano with the the music stand or whatever. Yeah. And you hear just that bang, and you hear the piano strings just boom. Yeah. It's a drone. Boom. Yeah. And then I noticed after that and before that too it's probably but, is it before that yeah, that it's a going bit before on too? too it's i think it's more pronounced after that yeah but whenever there's something sinister going on whether it's someone getting stalked or whether it's actually someone getting killed whenever the mood is trying to be more scary and tense there's a very extremely similar sound it's the piano and it's just that kind of hitting the strings and just letting them resonate yeah and then there's a few like keystrokes so to me, that was another thing pointing directly at Peter. Exactly. Not within the movie, not within the context of what these characters know, but from the filmmaker saying through sound connecting Peter to the killer. Yeah. So it's it made very not, subliminal. Yeah, it's not yeah. something that you might automatically put together, but in your head, when you hear the piano, you think of Peter, and yeah. then you think of darkness, and so it all kind of yep. fits together. But it's not him. But it's not him. <laughs> I also really like the editing in this movie. Like, yeah. a lot of times I noticed, especially, there were a lot of good connections between scenes, I think. But one of the things I liked the most was a lot of the connections directly into the phone calls. So, like, one that I can think of off the top of my head is when they have, they're looking for the little girl. They're looking for Janice. Yeah. And they find her. And the, the girl is screaming. And then her mother comes over. The mother runs up. Yeah. We never see Janice. But we see the mother's face, and she opens her mouth to scream, but instead of a scream, it's a phone ringing. Yeah. And then it cuts to the phone. So there's, I think, two or three times I can recall, I'd have to watch it again to make sure, I don't know if it happens every time, but there's something like that that happens that directly leads into the phone call. So it's taking, it's again, it's juxtaposing this bad thing that's going on in this other scene directly to that phone. Yeah. So it's, I think it's... It's really brilliant how he like, yeah, put this movie together. Yeah, it makes it an unrelenting movie once yeah. again. Yeah, it's, I keep going back to that, but yeah. I think it's true. And I don't know how long the movie is. But it's about 100 minutes. Yeah, but it's such a simple story. But like you said, the pacing is so good. There's there's jokes where there need to be jokes, and scenes connect so well that it doesn't feel very long. It's just like yeah. one, like... I never got bored during it. Yeah, it yeah. built the tension up like it was supposed to. Yeah, it feels like 80 minutes, but it's 100. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's another thing that makes it great. I think one one last thing about like the phone calls is, depending on how you watch this movie, I think some people may think that like the phone calls, what's going on in the phone calls could be comical. Especially at the beginning. Like, sure. just the just there's so much, and there's it's it's so over the top. But... I think that the movie knows this. I think that Bob Clark realized this when he was making the movie. And so in that first scene, Barb is making a joke of it. And everybody kind of laughs sure. at it. So when people go to horror movies in the theater, like, what do they do when something scary happens? They laugh at it. And yep. it kind of, it deflates that fear that is effectively being given to them. Yeah. But as the movie goes on, you notice that it builds up the tension more. Part of that's Olivia Hussey and her acting and her reactions to it. But it's also Bob Clark saying, okay, we laughed at it, but this yeah. is going to keep going. And this is, like you said, it's unrelenting and it gets worse and worse as it goes. And I think that, I think the phone calls are essential. They're central to the fear in this movie mm -hmm. because of what's going on and the little bits you get out of it. Yeah. And so for him to be able to do that, to make you laugh at it, but then 
make you say, okay, this is yeah. getting pretty weird and scary. I'll tell you what, since you brought it up, and I got two last things, sure. that's all I got, is since you say this, I don't think Bob Clark could have predicted, and he's not around to say anything, mm. but I don't think he could have predicted that I know at the time he's like, this is cutting edge stuff. Yeah. Some of this dialogue, and even a, a, the line that Margot Kidder has early on in the film where it says, where that, that worm girl brings up, and I think it might have even been Claire that said, mm. like, some girl was raped a few weeks ago. And yeah. then, like, Margot Kidder goes, come on, you can't rape a townie. Yeah. That line would not fly today. <laughs> no. I mean, that was barely flying then or yeah. after it. Right. I don't think Bob, I think Bob Clark probably thought at the time, it's just going to go further out from this point. Yeah. People are going to say whatever by the, you know, by right. the time this is 20, 30 years old. But now you can make this today yeah. and have that line in there. Mm-hmm. And you sure couldn't say 75% of the stuff that the guy right. on the phone says. Yeah. So I don't think he could have predicted that it's still cutting edge in that sense that it's yeah. so un-PC. It's a super un-PC movie in that sense. Even though there is a lot, there's some progressive attitude in it as well. Sure. I just, the, that's another thing that makes it great. You can have that kind of conversation. And then the other thing is, once again, talking earlier about I could watch a movie so many times and still not pick up on a few things. Mm. That's just the way I am. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. But I just realized, since you were talking about the phone calls, mm. so it's not the first time he called. Because they obviously yeah. imply this in the beginning, but it's the first time he's called inside the house. So he's done it before, mm. and now he's there and it's on. He's built up to that, yeah. So I'm not I'm not victim shaming here. That that's a new term. I'm not victim shaming here, but somebody brought him to that house in a sense, in his head. Yeah. He was brought to that house yeah. by somebody, probably Barb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> John Saxon would agree with me. Yeah. Let's just not wake her up. He definitely has a reason. Like <laughs> He's there he now. He has to have a reason, yeah. He's called before. This yeah. is this has been going on for a while. Sure. Probably since they've been there in the fall. Yeah. That's something I just realized, and I'm like, wow, that's fucked up. Yeah, because Barb even says something like, he's got a new shtick, or he has a new whatever, yeah. when they answer the phone for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Oof. So yeah, Black Christmas is... Uh, Go out of your way. Yeah. Go out of your way. Run, don't walk, as I like to say. I've, have you seen the, the remake? No. I saw the remake in the theater when and it ever came out. You know me, big Buffy fan, Michelle yeah. Trachtenberg's in it. I'm yeah. not watching this. Th- I can't imagine it, it can be even like remotely half as good. I've only even if it tried. Yeah, I've only seen it the one time. I think I actually have the DVD. I've never watched it. Um, but I think that go says home a, and watch it now. <laughs> that says a lot about how much I thought about it at the time. I think it was one of those where I was like, eh, it's okay. Yeah. It feels like it was like the Prom Night remake or any of like the modern horror remakes yeah. of something that was really Anything good. from the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, eh, it's whatever. Yeah. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it either. So yeah. I'll give it another watch. I'll let, I'll let you know. Yeah, let me know how the <laughs> actors are. Right. And let me know how much it takes from the original. I'll be curious. Yeah. Is the townie line in there? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. All right. <laughs> last thing I'll say is I want to own... Jess's sweater in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, if you can the find hands that on the sweater, if anyone yeah. out there can find me that sweater with the white hands coming across <laughs> the chest, I want that. Yes, so it's amazing. Is and it? if they find it, where can they let me know where I can get that? Well, it should just be a Christmas present because you enjoy the free Last Theater on the Left podcast on cnjradio.com, home of every uh, cnjradio.com show, <laughs> including Rock Strikes Ten, my rock and roll podcast. Check it out. We're finishing off the year of 2017 with a 
1997 retrospective, nice. if that makes sense to you, especially if you're into numbers yeah. and anniversaries. Of course it is. Uh, a five-parter, by the way, which will, you can now enjoy between now and the end of the year, because at the beginning of the year, I will do my best albums of 2017. Nice. I figured this is a timely enough episode, I should mention that. <laughs> Absolutely. While you're there, stick around for the Synaptic Empire podcast featuring Randy Brown at your alternative. Of course, every episode of Last Theater on the left. Even more coming soon. Can I spoil what we're doing next? Yeah, go for it. We're doing the John Carpenter Apocalypse Trilogy. Yes. And if you don't know what that is, we'll fill you in. Stay yes. tuned. And last but not least, maybe just even a few days after you're listening to this, check it out. Wrestling House Show, the newly relaunched Wrestling House Show. A hard relaunch because we've got episodes <laughs> for oh, yeah. sure and how. A little bit of a different format and kind of maybe like a couple formats going on, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I like it. So, all that being said, stick around. CNJRadio.com for all things rock and rock culture. Yes. And I'm glad I said it that way, Chris. Speaking of rock. Mm, Yeah, okay. The king of rock and roll. The late Elvis Presley. Right. And I have to give IMDb Trivia the credit on this one. This is apparently one of Elvis's favorite films of all time, Chris. Really? Not only that, but it was so well known enough within his inner circle Mm-mm. that his family continues the tradition and watches it every Christmas. What? <laughs> That's wow. what it says. That I'll I'll go ahead and choose to believe that. <laughs> I want to believe that yeah. in the worst possible way. That's amazing. I would love to go to Graceland. And watch Black Christmas with Elvis Presley's family. Let's see if we can make that happen. <laughs> that is amazing. Stay tuned. Nice. And I will say, Kill Count, since this is a slasher movie. Is that right? Seven? <laughs> I, I count six. So let me list them for okay. you. Claire, Mrs. Mack, Barb, Jennings, who is the cop, yeah. Phil, and Peter. Those are, the, those are the six deaths. The kid doesn't count, though. Kid, I don't count the kid because I'm not sure. It didn't happen in the movie. It was only the body, so I don't really count that, and I'm not positive that Billy did it. It's seven. The piano. (laughs) Okay. Bye.